Hey guys, Montel here, and welcome to this edition of Let's Be Blunt with Montel. And I've talked a lot about the history of cannabis on this show, and I often find that most people are unaware of the rich history of cannabis in the United States, let alone the history in the world. Hemp was one of the first cultivated fiber plants with archaeological records of its use tracking back to ancient civilizations in northern China as early as 10,000 BC. Hemp has many uses from biofuel to personal care to almost everything in between. And I'm really excited about my guest today because he's not only steeped in history of cannabis, but he's also a part of it. He's been a part of the history of cannabis, really. He began growing hemp in the early 1990s in China, Poland, Hungary, and Romania. And in 1991, he founded the Hempstead Company, one of the first hemp clothing and seed businesses to open in the United States since the 1930s. The company sold products in more than 4,000 stores and in 10 countries around the world. In 1992, he co-founded the True Hemp Industry Association, now known as the Hemp Industries Association. And in 1994, he became the first person in modern times permitted to legally grow hemp, a hemp crop here in the United States at the USDA Research Center in Brawley, California. In 2014, he established a large sustainable hemp farm in California to support his educational, commercial, and advocacy activities. And now, today, He's a CEO of Farmtiva Inc., which breeds and sells CBD fiber and grain seeds, and co-founder of Juiceteva Hemp CBDA Powder. Chris Boucher, Boucher, thank you so much. Welcome to the Montel Way Well, not Montel Boucher. Welcome to Let's Be Blunt with Montel. How you doing, my friend? Hey, it's awesome to be here. Thank you so much. This is an honor, and uh, I'm so glad that uh, you invited me on your show. Thank you. Well, right back at you, sir. I'm telling you, honored to speak to you. Let's talk a little bit about your history with hemp and uh, where where it all began, because you were in the clothing industry when you first became interested in hemp, right? Yes, sir. Yeah, you know, um, it's one of those things that just uh, how life is, weird stuff happens, and, you know, uh, you just have to be in the right place at the right time. Um, I was in the clothing business. I used to do hemp, uh, not hemp, uh, cotton backpacks, we did like college stores, tie dye, collegiate colors. And I was selling to, you know, quite a, a couple hundred stores across the country. And I went into a store in Van Nuys, California, and uh, they were selling my tie dye backpacks. And a gentleman asked me to sign a hemp petition. And I said, What's hemp? <laughs> and he said, Basically, hey, look, and I wrote a book. His name was Jack Herrer, the famous author of The Emperor Wears No Clothes. He sat me down. He went almost page by page in that store of the book he wrote and what hemp was. And I left the store. I think it was in there five hours, six hours. And he just basically indoctrinated me. Everything I thought I knew, I didn't know. And, of course, I signed the petition to legalize hemp. And the rest is history, man. Well, you know, the rest is history. But let's do this. Let's take a second just to share with our listeners and viewers a little bit of that history. Because... When you were in that store and you're looking at your cotton and he said, dude, you should be making these backpacks out of hemp because this is really one of the original fibers used for clothing. Were you not blown away? I was blown away when he told me cotton was the most toxic plant you can grow and how you can't, you know, after uh, growing it one season, you have to wait three seasons. Then he went into hemp, how the country was founded on hemp. The pilgrims brought hemp here. Jamestown grew hemp. I mean, he showed me documentation, and anyone can read it, 
uh, that you could pay your taxes with hemp in the United States. Um, it was such an important commodity. It was basically part of global trade and exploration and global commerce because every ship, every boat that crossed the ocean had hemp sails, hemp ropes, hemp oakum that kept the boards uh, from water from leaking into the ship. So it was such an essential part of America. I mean, even our flags were made from hemp. You know, we used to salute cannabis sativa. Uh, Old Glory was made from hemp that's in the Smithsonian Institute. So it was almost as American as apple pie, if not more. <laughs> if not more. And all of our forefathers grew hemp too. And when you're talking about coming across the ocean, even the sailors ate a porridge of dehulled hemp, correct? Because they found out this is back in 16... 85 or earlier, they knew that hemp was one of the highest protein-laden seeds on the planet, right? Yes, and, and actually the definition of uh, European porridge is hemp. Hemp seed is in porridge. It's a mix of like two or three seeds. All the monks ate the hemp porridge. Um, and so, yeah, porridge was basically a, a hemp oatmeal, pretty much. I mean, that's what it was known as. And, um, and they knew that um, it was... Um, definitely healthy to eat. And, um, you know, all of our ancestors ate hemp seeds and it's been in our diet for over 10,000 years. And it was just, it was unfortunate that um, here in the United States, they took out all the history. They cleaned all the history books uh, in all the schools, um, you know, elementary to college. They just eliminated any word of the word uh, of hemp in, in our history. So um, now we're starting to get back to it. So it's it's just so embedded in American history. It's incredible. And, you know, it's very, very funny. I remember this was years ago. Like I, uh, now I can't remember exactly how many years ago, but I'm telling you, let's go back 10 years, back when the Smithsonian Institute literally was redoing the Benjamin Franklin display. I remember somebody saying that, um, you know, they they when they moved his desk, one of the people that was doing it took one of his pipes off his desk and they scraped that pipe out. And they tested what was in it, and they realized that Benjamin Franklin, homeboy, was actually smoking himself some hemp on a regular basis because, I mean, how the hell do you go outside in a lightning storm and fly a kite? You know what I mean? But, I mean, yeah. but, but, I mean, you think about it. I mean, it was part of Americana. George Washington grew hemp. Everybody grew hemp back then. Yeah, it was it was an essential crop because the commodities, it was a tri. We called it a tri-crop, as Jack Harrow would say. They got their medicine. They got their fiber, their rope, their sails. They got their food. I mean, you couldn't ask for a better, you know, uh, crop to grow. And, and, people, and the, people put themselves in the mindset. Let's remember, let's go back. We're talking 1690, 1700. You know, there was no air conditioning. There were no toilets. You know, there was no, you know, uh, sheets. Uh, it, 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 so, I mean, honestly, and most people in this country don't even know we erase this also. Back in the early times when we came here, we recognized you can't just go out and stick a cup in a river and drink water. Why? Because, you know, Smokey the Bear, you know, about 45 feet up the river probably just took a leak. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so you couldn't drink that in the water. So what do we do? Back then, everybody drank something that was kind of what we call today like a near beer. All the water we consumed was either boiled and then turned in so they could store it. They would turn it into like a, a, a low alcohol grade water. So even infants were drinking water that was alcohol based. Everybody's walking around with not a little buzz, but, you know, just a little bit of a euphoria. And I'm telling you, you know, lions and tigers and bears, oh my, cold at night, you know, hot during the day. You know, there was something in that sitting back on the porch smoking a hemp leaf, 
you know, cigarettes goes, you know what? You felt a little bit better, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Hey, there's a quote somewhere where Abraham Lincoln, they, they asked him what he did in Kentucky, what he liked to do. He liked to sit on his porch, play his uh, Homer harmonica and smoke his cannabis. <laughs> there you go. Well, and, I mean, and his wife, his, his wife was from the largest uh, hemp growing family in Kentucky. They were the kingpins of, uh, of hemp, uh, Mary. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's just incredible, the history. And even for a couple hundred years, I mean, if you look in the pharmacopoeia, all pregnancies during childbirth, you use cannabis. If, right. you, if you even said that or did that today, you'd be in jail for using cannabis during childbirth. So, right. you know, history doesn't lie when it's written in the books. We know it's what they take out is what we don't know. Absolutely. And, you know, just, just to echo that, I mean, all you got to do, anybody who's listening to us right now going, oh, you know, come on, I'm not telling Chris, you're full of shit. No, we're not. All you got to do is go to the library and uh, pick up a newspaper from mm, 1855 on and look back in the classifieds. There is nothing but hemp-based, cannabis-based, you know, tinctures and things like that talking about how it helps this from gout to this, to this, to this, to this, to this. So, you know, it's just something that you can look at, do the history work yourself and you'll find out, you know, what we're telling you is true. And, you know, let's talk a little bit about now, again, specifically your history with it. I mean, you know, you uh, sat with Jack, figured out, hmm, let me go see what I can make a, a, a couple backpacks out of this. Is that what you started with? Yeah, so he he really drilled into me on me using cotton. He said, you got to use hemp. And so I said, well, where can you get the hemp from? And he said, China. And I was like, well, how am I going to get to China? So back then there was no internet in 1990, 91, 92. So we would go to the library and we would look in the yellow pages. And, right. you know, we started, and it took me about a year before we finally found it in China and 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 um, the Chinese have been growing it for like five thousand years nonstop, so it was no big deal. And we finally were able to hook up with a company that we imported our first hemp in '91, and we just basically converted all of our tie dye cotton backpacks and bags and chairs and stuff we made with hemp. And it was a no brainer because you could just call the store and say, "Hey, I've got these hemp backpacks. They're made out of cannabis sativa." marijuana and a lot of the stores we were in were we call them head shops or psychedelic shops there was thousands and thousands of them it, it was where you went and got your posters your rock yep. and roll shirts led zeppelin aerosmith where you got your tie-dyes because yep. back then all the big box stores your walmarts kmarts and you know targets uh, any kind of rock and roll led zeppelin aerosmith that was like satan stuff right. anything with tie-dye meant drugs so they didn't want to touch anything in their store that would represent you know devil and, and drugs so right. uh these stores were million dollar stores so that's where you got your concert t-shirts and all that stuff so it was an immediate sale it was really you know you didn't have to do much selling just say hey, here's the product and no one else had it and it was brand new and we just blew up we did the trade shows and then finally i went to china in like 92 93 and I met the Chinese growers and the government actually owned the mills. And um, I just learned so much from them because they've been growing it for so long. I eventually went over to Eastern Europe. I had to go to the Eastern European countries because these are the only people that, um, how do I say, they never stopped growing hemp and using it in their, in their industry because it was so important to their economy. 
It was anyone that pretty much joined the UN, European countries, American. They all just eliminated all parts of the hemp plant. And, and that was because, well, I guess it was a 1963 treaty that was signed to stop, you know, using hemp. And that was partly, partly yeah. uh, forced on them because of, you know, the textile and the, you know, the oil industry because they didn't want that competition. People don't really recognize what this was all about. I mean, let's go back. When you're talking about the use of hemp for clothing and things, most people don't know the entire revolutionary army was clothed in hemp. One of the yeah. only things the North and the South had in common was their uniforms were made of hemp. So it's like yeah. so, it's so crazy. And, and, you know, again, the West would not have been won because, you know, I've heard that the word canvas comes from cannabis because the canvas on the tops of the wagons was made of hemp. So, so. yes, it, yes, you're absolutely. And, and speaking, I hate to talk about war, but all the cannon fuses, like every cannon fuse was made from hemp. And one of the I don't want to say the greatest inventions. I don't know how to coin it, but dynamite. Mr. Yeah. Nobel, you've heard of the Nobel Peace Prize. Yeah. Well, he made his millions because he invented dynamite. And right. part of the patent with dynamite was hemp. So, I mean, it was so intricate in whether the clothing, whether it was the ammunition, whether it was the ropes and the sails. So, I, I mean, you know, God bless hemp. I mean, it built this country. And I, I think we re rebuild it with it again. We could rebuild it within, you know, most people don't know that after we passed the Marijuana Tax Act back in 1937, the U.S. government reached out to farmers across the country in like 1943, 44. We had a hemp for victory movement in the United States where during World War II, they, the government was asking farmers to grow more hemp because we needed more ropes for all of our ships. You're exactly right. Yes. Uh, uh, grow hemp for the war, uh, war hemp industries and um Yes, it was uh, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of acres they grew to support the war. Now, you know, let's talk to me about, so so how did you approach, did you approach the government and say, look, you know, I mean, this is something that's a viable product. It's been viable. I'm not trying to do anything illegal. I just want to grow some hemp so we can use it industrially. How did that come about? And, and you know, that was in the early 90s that you did that, right? Yes. That, you know, that's a great question. It, it, was, it was the foundation of our business. We wanted... Part of the Hempstead Company, we made hemp wallets, bags, hats. We wanted to bring hemp back to America. That was like our company motto. And we would call Made in America. We would buy the fabric from the Chinese and we would make it all in Orange County, California, Costa Mesa. <laughs> and, and so that was kind of our whole motto. And, and, and so we said, well, why don't we grow it here? And uh, we started doing some research and we found out in California uh, one of the greatest inventions of the modern day hemp industry was the decorticator. And it was uh, the modern decorticator was invented in 1918 in Imperial Valley, California. So we looked at the map and we you know, looked out there. And there was a USDA research center. So we went out to this region in California that was growing hemp, you know, 80 or 100 years ago. And uh, we went to the USDA research center and the gentleman there said, hey, my grandfather grew hemp. I think he, this is a great idea, Chris. And he was a director. His name was Dick Kershaw. And he said, well, let me go to Washington, D.C. and see if I can get permission to grow an experimental crop of hemp at the USDA Research Center, Chris. I said, hey, go ahead. He came back. And he's, you know, a couple of weeks later, this was 93, I think December of 93. He says, I, I got permission. We can grow it. Um, 
we went to the local ag commissioner and said, look, we have a contract with the USDA to grow it. We want your permission also. He wrote us a letter. So I've got two contracts from the USDA and also the local ag commissioner. And we planted the first crop since World War II in America in Imperial Valley, California. And I mean, it was just, we couldn't believe where we were standing in a hemp field. And we were untouchable because we're growing with the federal government. You know, we can't get arrested. Uh, we're going to change the world. We're going to change the history in America. And back then, were they so, so intent on making sure that the amount of THC stayed below, stay below 0.03? Is that where that came from? Well, yes. So what we did was we modeled after a Canadian law. It's actually a French law. We don't know really why, who, where, where it came from, but it was the word industrial hemp. Um, it was 0.3. So we use that in all the contracts to show that we are not growing marijuana. We're using this uh, scientific measurement of 0.3, which I, again, it was actually came from the French and, um, that's kind of really how we got in there. We, we, we and that, and that zero point that zero point three is just some arbitrary number to somebody pick random. Up. Yeah, random well, number. It, it could have been point zero five. Yes, 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 exactly. Right. So, um, and and we were standing there going, "Hey, we're changing history today." We had CNN came out. I had met Ted Turner, you know, a couple months earlier, and he said, "Look, it, man, if you if you get this crop, I, I want my." Uh, my uh, network uh, team to come out there. They had a program called Network Earth, and he gave me the producer's number. She flew out uh, um, at the end. We're right before we we're going to harvest. We had some issues, but we got on CNN, and it was shown worldwide. Um, and we were like, hey, this is going to be legal in two or three years. I made bets with all my marijuana friends that, hey, hemp's going to be legal way before marijuana. And boy, was I wrong. I was off by like 20 years. <laughs> I know, which is crazy, because let's talk a little bit about those 20 years. I mean, who were the people who were most against it when you when they found out that you were literally doing this? I'm sure that you just had everybody and their mother come after you, right? Yeah, what was really funny. Um, and, and so in 94, after we grew it, I, I was invited to Kentucky for the uh, the, the governor of Kentucky had the uh, governor's hemp task force in 94. said, let's look at hemp if we can regrow. So I testified there and I told the audience that look at hemp, you're gonna, it's gonna be everywhere in the future. You're gonna go to the grocery store, you're gonna walk down the aisle, there'll be hemp cookies and there'll be hemp salads and hemp juice and there'll be hemp foods everywhere. And um, uh, the people from Drug Watch, Drug, Drug Watch was part of Just Say No, and they reported me and put me in Drug Watch that I was. I was promoting marijuana that's going to be in all the stores and kids could eat it and cookies and brownies. And they just distorted it so much. So there was this whole movement in the early 90s of misinformation. And we would have DEA agents come into our uh, legislative uh, testimony here in California, Colorado, and they would say, well, this hemp is, is a front for marijuana. And these hemp people are going to they're going to put hash labs in the middle of the hemp fields and they would co concoct these stories that were just bizarre and just misinformation. So, you and know, it was I, really, I, I just, you know, I, when I look back at the timing and, and when this was taking place, I can remember some of that same ridiculousness being, being espoused and, and can't understand though that, well, first off, at the same time that they were doing all that, the same government was spending money in places like Israel and other places researching the cannabis plant, spending millions of our taxpayer dollars 
funding Dr. Mashum's research and all the, the research that came out that identified the fact that, you know, we had an endocannabinoid system. We knew that back in 1988 that there was an endocannabinoid system. We didn't tell anybody that. We basically have lied about this plant continuously from the government standpoint. Um, even after we identify the fact, okay, let's keep the THC level down low enough so that it really, it will give you a euphoria if you smoke enough hemp, but the euphoria will be very, very mild. Still, um, I just don't understand, you know, the forces that were at work at trying to stop this. Was it because of ignorance or was it because there were some people who genuinely believed that this was like the devil's salad? Yeah, it was It was almost like, I call it the gateway. They'd say, well, if you grow hemp, next thing is going to be marijuana and they're going to give it to the children. And they would, you always bring in the kids and it was just this, uh, I, you know, I, I don't want to get into politics or mm -hmm. Christianity, but sure. it was a really conservative, uh, super right wing type um, anti everything, you know. And so they looked at hemp as this like uh, a front for drugs. Uh, once they get the hemp, they're going to get the drugs. And, and look at marijuana was legal before hemp. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, you know, know. It's really funny about that, though. You said and I'm not. I'm not knocking anybody's a Christian or anybody's religious beliefs, but you know, if you want to read the Bible and you go back, what did the three uh, wise men take to the baby Jesus? Um, incense, frankincense, and myrrh. Well, we know frankincense is a plant that's pretty close to the hemp plant. And why were they doing that? People need to understand. You, you brought it up earlier when you talked about during pregnancy and during childbirth. We know now when you look back at times in Israel and you look back at times in the Middle East, you know, babies being born, almost all of them were colicky, or all of them had some sort of mild respiratory illness when they were born. And so families used to hang that incense, which was really kind of a, a couple of molecules off of a hemp in their in their tents and things so that the babies could breathe. So if it was good enough for baby Jesus, I'm just saying, I'm just saying, I mean, so well, uh, no, go ahead. Yeah. So one of the first things I learned when Jack, uh, indoctrinated me in that store in 1990 was he had the Bible in there and it was a hemp Bible. And he, and he opened the first page, you know, I was an altar boy Catholics, you know, the whole, I mean, my education is pretty intense in that area, but he opened the first page of the Bible. And he says, what does it say here? Genesis 129. I have given you every herb bearing seed and for you, it shall be meat. Yeah. And I mean, I was like, he goes, it's on the first page of the Bible. So that was, a huge opening for me. And then, then we looked up what Hebrews seven and eight, and it said, um, um, God has given you the, uh, what was it? Uh, cotton was the, uh, would dammit the earth and the herb would bless it. And they knew even 2000 years ago, cotton would poison the soil and herbs would replenish it. And so there, there, there's quite a few quotes that you can pull out and you can, you know, look at the linguistics and, and research, but yeah, I mean, it was, to me, it was so important to see that, you know, and I show that to a lot of people that might not believe in and in, in happen through their religion. I say, hey, it's in the first page of the Bible. And they're like, oh, amen. Right. And, and, yeah, and, so and, and, I love and, that fact. And Gutenberg, in order to print the first Bibles, it was by law. The Bibles had to be written on hemp. Um I'm from Cape Cod, Bonstable, Massachusetts, right? Plymouth Rock, where the Mayflower came over. And I went into the museum on Cape Cod where uh, where uh, William Standish had his Bible. Um, no, John Lathrop, 
and it was one of the Bibles that was on the Mayflower, and it's all made from hemp. <laughs> and, 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 and they didn't put it in the display, but I'm just saying that that's how intricate it was in Christianity at one time. All Bibles were made from hemp. I mean, come on. That come has on. to be we, said, because really because we, knew, we, we knew the value of it back then. And no ifs, ands, or buts, they knew the value of it. So now from 1993, when you started with the USDA uh, uh, facility and you started growing out there, tell me a little bit about your journey getting us all the way through to the farm bill, because I know you had a lot to do with that. <laughs> it was called Jack said, never give up. So Jack was like my mentor. He was the guru, the rabbi, the the main guy who wrote the, we call it the hemp Bible, the emperor wears no clothes. And to any of your listeners, if you've never heard of this book, or have never read it, read it. It is the most historical hemp book ever written. I mean, I ended up being the best man at Jack's wedding, you know, no, and, 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 and he was the guy that he he gave his life up to, to educate the world and change the world with hemp. I had never met somebody that was that dedicated. So as I moved forward, I had his energy and had his mentorship, you know, behind me because I don't know if I could have done it with people like him. And there were several other people along the way that helped lift me up. And so, you know, we we ended up um, going to uh, Poland, Hungary, went to Eastern Europe, met those people over there. And then we went to the Korean people who bury all their dead in hemp. I mean, you you can't get buried in Korea unless you're buried in hemp clothing. And I said, well, why would that happen? And said, well, it's so sacred. And we've been using it for 4,000 years. But but to continue the journey, we we started making clothing and like I said, all types of accessories. We we did stuff for the Beatles, Dave Matthews, Fish. We did all the Converse hemp shoes. I mean, the '90s was man, it was Hemp City. We had a blast, and then we started doing hemp seed oil, and that was like wow, what is this? You know, omega fatty acids, omega three, mm -hmm. omega six, omega nine. It had a three to one ratio. I mean, I, we're like, this is like the super oil of oils for the human body and health. And, and lo and behold, we get a knock on our door one day and it's the DEA and uh, the DOJ. They're saying, we think hemp seed is illegal and hemp lotions and creams. And this was before CBD. And the DEA actually tried to snuff out the hemp industry in 2000. The DEA, not the FDA, I mean, they sent letters to all the health food stores across America, like 5,000 stores, and said, if you sell hemp lotion, hemp cream, hemp milk, hemp protein powder, we're going to charge you with the Controlled Substance Act. We believe this is marijuana. Um, the DEA did a thing called reinterpretation. They reinterpreted uh, the federal law saying, well, we think it's illegal. Long story short, uh, we sued the DEA. The HIA sued the DEA. It's a landmark case, HIA versus DEA. It was very controversial at the time because it put some people out of business. Uh, hemp Rella, Richard Rose, the biggest guy in the world selling hemp burgers and hemp cheese. I mean, overnight, they killed his business. And, and uh, all of us, a lot of us. And so uh, uh, we won in the Ninth Court of Appeals. It's a landmark case called, called the HIA versus the DEA. The Ninth Court of Appeals said to the DEA, you are a law enforcement agency. You do not make laws. If you don't like the hemp laws, go to Congress and change them. Bang. It's legal again, in a sense. But it really snuffed out the industry. 
uh, for about 10 years, man, to, to, to come back from that. And, you know, I, I, remember, I remember back then at that time because I literally was getting, had to get hemp products, hemp protein. I, was, I shifted over once I got diagnosed with MS. I shifted over, well, right even before I got diagnosed with MS, I shifted over and started consuming a lot of plant-based uh, was what my diet was. And I was getting a lot of hemp products out of Canada, believe it or not. I, was, I would have to reach out to a company in Canada to get my hemp protein that I wanted, which was like ridiculous because I couldn't find any of them in the United States, even up to about 2000. Yeah, we, we got a container, a 20 foot tractor trailer got got busted uh, bringing hemp lotion. We used to supply hemp seed oil to Jason's Natural. It was a big uh, a cosmetic company. And and uh, they seized the, the, the container of, um, of hemp lotions and creams. And then we also noticed we had a bunch of military guys. We were shipping oil around the world, Germany, Japan, uh, San Diego, and I guess a lot of the, the Marines and Army and Navy, they're all taking hemp seed oil and saying and failing their said they failed their drug test. And that's a lie because there's not enough THC in the in the in the hemp seed oil to do that. But um, but yeah, we were really keen on really trying to change the world. I mean, even back up to what 99, 2000, uh, we started working with the Navajo Nation and uh, we brought uh, hemp seed out there. We passed the first Native American hemp law. Um, at, at Window Rock in Navajo country. And um, as soon as it was passed, within 10 minutes, uh, Washington, D.C., the BIA called the Navajo president and said, if you put one, if you pass this law and sign it, we're going to cut off your $400 million a year. <laughs> and uh, uh, the representatives of the Navajo Nation said, wow, that's some powerful medicine. We've never been threatened like that. So they went back. It was Irving Keyswood and Earl Tooley. Um, they changed the word from growing to educating so that we, we dodged a bullet there. But, uh, yeah, I mean, just at, as the like I said, the DEA snuffed the industry out. And then in about 2011, I was hired by a company, uh, Medical Marijuana Inc., Hemp Meds. They asked me to help um, import hemp CBD oil from Europe and help write a legal opinion called hemp CBD is legal in all 50 states. And, you know, I said, I don't think this is going to work. And he says, hey, look, I'm paying you pretty well, man. We've got to make it work. And, you know, at the time, I was kind of hurting, man. I said, well, let me look at it. And I, once I looked at it, I said, hey, you're absolutely right. There is no mention of cannabidiol in the Controlled Substance Act. It's not a cannabinoid. It's a cannabidiol. And, uh, and so we wrote the opinion and I imported the first batch of CBD oil from the Czech Republic in Germany into Los Angeles. And we had a clear U.S. Customs, FDA, uh, Homeland uh, Security. I mean, we had to go through three or four different agencies. And we got it shipped to our place in San Diego. And the rest is history. Um, th the sad part about it was uh, the industry I created, the hemp industries, actually kicked me out of the HIA, Hemp Industries Association, because they thought CBD was a scam. They said, man, there's no, they just didn't know, you know. And uh, of course, within a year or so, um, uh, there was like a thousand new members of the HIA and every company started using it. And of course, uh, uh, I think the big break we saw that it really exploded was when Dr. Sanjay Gupta, he did that CNN special. And boy, the next day, I mean, everybody saw that. Yeah, it's, really, it's really funny. You probably don't know this. You know, I was talking to a gentleman yesterday about this. Is the fact that 
I called Sanjay out on on Pierce Morgan's show. Okay. I was I did an interview. I was did an interview. I was I and Pierce Morgan were on. This is after you know um, I kind of got popped in. Um, uh, I can't remember which state it was. It was in. I remember that. I, I got popped in um, going through Detroit because uh, I'll tell you a very funny story. I had just left California, and I had been really since since my diagnosis with MS. You know, I got hooked on opioids and I had a doctor say to me, I'm not giving you any more opioids because I know what you're doing. You're out here doctor shopping. You've been getting pills from everybody that I know, and I'm letting them all know that they need to stop writing you prescriptions. So you ought to try this stuff called cannabis because I think well, at that time he said, you ought to try this marijuana stuff. And I heard about something, CBDBDB. That's exactly how the doctor said it. He said CBDBDB, I don't know, some weird word like that, but you ought to look it up. So I looked it up and I started using, I started finding myself. So anyway, you know, I went out to California, uh, was up in the Bay Area. I got a hold of some product. As a matter of fact, back then, um, I asked a, a grower out there, I said, you know, have you heard about the CBD, heavy CBD cannabis? He said, yeah, I got some, but nobody wants it. You want it? I'll give it to him. So he basically gave me, I got like almost a full ounce of uh, CBD. Uh, no, I got a, a pound of a CBD um, uh, Keef, a higher CBD. Oh, the good stuff. Yeah. So, um when I got that, you know, uh, and I got popped, uh, I went on national television and I went ahead and said to people, yes, I use it. I use it for my illness. And it's because it's one of the only things that works. And um, it was so funny because, you know, uh, anyway, so I go on, on, on Pierce Morgan and Sanjay at the time had not changed his mind yet. So Sanjay was yeah, on there about, right. he was on there talking about how, well, I think this whole thing with marijuana is wrong. I said, excuse me, hold on a minute, sir. How can you say that when our own government just gave themselves a patent on CBD? How can you make that claim? And if you read, if you're a doctor, you're supposed to be a doctor, read the abstract and the patent that they just gave themselves. Six months later, Sanjay does his first special on CBD, on, on uh, can, cannabis and CBD. And literally about six months after that, he came back on Piers Morgan to apologize to me. You know, it, again, right place at the right time. If you didn't meet him and tell him that, he might have not done that special because right. he did. I, the first thing he says on the special is, I was completely against this. Correct. I didn't believe in it. And you probably, the zeitgeist that made that happen, like I said, uh, that I, I, special I, hit, what, 20 million people saw it maybe? Yep, and and yep. free advertisement, just free education. Blew up. I mean, that yeah, just exploded worldwide. Because then people people realize, wait a minute, this may be really legitimate. Yeah, yes. And move on from there. So, you know, like, look, I mean, let, let, let's talk a little bit about, because this is something I want people to understand. The number of use, usages of hemp, we know that there's probably 2,500 different uses of hemp, right? Easy, yes. Right. Yes, Easy. We, could, we, could, we could sit here all day and start making a list and it would never right. end. <laughs> let's give them a little bit of a list. I mean, like, 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 okay, like textiles, you can make clothing, diapers, handbags, Denim, shoes, fine fabrics. As a matter of fact, can be used for animals for animal bedding because it doesn't cause some of the harmful reactions to animals, right? Oh yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, for horse bedding and 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 uh, cat cat litter boxes. I mean, right. it goes on. I mean, threads. You just they used it for centuries for thread uh, right. wicks or right. candles. I mean, come on, a, a candle was the mo was more valuable than money, and a wick candle made your candle even more valuable. Uh, uh, made from hemp, um, hemp oils, all the oils we used. Um, uh, 
Uh, they I, used a rope, canvas, tarps, carpeting, netting, chalk caulking, holding uh, uh, parts, uh, wait, wait, molded parts. It can be used as we can turn it into plastic. I mean, I even read something. I know this. I've known this for a while now that you can turn hemp fiber into a kind of a it's not graphene, but it's a type of a graphene type of foil that we now know has a better electrical storage capability than graphite, right? Yes, they're they're researching right now and and developing batteries, uh, pyrolysis, uh, yeah. which is huge in the regenerative soil uh, program, and 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 just um, you know we can sit here and, and just really dig down like what what's more important is it the medicine is the fuel is it you know all these huge industries that it can segue into and like i again you know i was taught um early on and with hemp that we 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 switched over from a carbohydrate based economy to a petroleum based economy i mean just imagine um all your all your homes painted with hemp paint rather than petroleum paint all right. the insulation in your home, rather than using toxic fiberglass, natural hemp insulation. You yes, know? which, is, which I now understand when hemp insulation is created, it has a better uh, uh, capability than any of the fiberglass stuff, the same way as that uh, does for batteries, right? Yeah, just and just um, even with carbon sequestration, yes. you know, one acre of hemp can sequester, I believe... Uh, uh, 3,200 pounds of uh, CO2. I, I could be off on that, but it's there's no other crop that that sequesters that. And again, one thing, if you if you look at scientifically what this what this plant does, it's like a machine, and it's and it's working so hard with photosynthesis that's that's how the DEA and the police would find marijuana because it's the green of green and it has a fingerprint it has a temperature it's the hottest plant on the ground it's very close to tomatoes but you know why does it have that high temperature and the and the in the infrared and whatever can can basically go through a forest and pick out hey there's hemp in here here's the fingerprint because it's you know th this temperature and this uh uh, green in terms of the photosynthesis process that's taking place. That's right, and, that, and that's taking place because it's sucking the, the CO2 out of the air. Yeah. I mean, right now, we're having all these discussions about global warming, but if, if any city in America just just woke up and took all of their, you know, uh, um, their buildings that are governmental buildings and gone ahead and grew hemp on the outside of the building like vines... You could literally start sequestering some of the CO2 by the cars that are driving through your city. And we could literally right now probably impact global warming in ways that we've never thought of just by growing big fields of hemp and then turn it around and using it for all the things it can be used for. You're absolutely right. And those are some of my core values and the whole movement, the whole move, the, the hemp movement wasn't just the medicine. The core movement was the environment. We were trying to save the environment back in the early 90s. We could grow hemp and we could save the world. You know, that was like our pitch. You know, people would say, oh, get out of here, you hemp hippies and this and that. But we said, no, here's the science. You know, here's, here, here's the research. This can help save the world in this sense. And, and so it was an environmental movement. And, and now it's more of like a business movement. But still, we always have to remember where we came from and where we're going. Absolutely. Well, I got to tell you something, my friend, that's something that you and I ought to think about moving forward and trying to get 
you know, a producer out here to get aboard us and let's do a new film. I mean, I think right now, if we did a, a theatrical released documentary so that people, and then of course, because it's theatrical release, it had to go on Netflix or something like that, where you can really literally put out a product that shows people that we're not just talking smack. We're talking about, you know, saving the planet. And it was a product that was around back in the day, hundreds of years ago, that was instrumental in helping the planet even move forward to where we are today. This could also help move us forward from where we are today to the future. Yes, I, I think, oh man, I mean, documentary style, just um, um, some type of, I think, real true core hemp uh, in terms of the science, uh, the industry, the jobs it's creating. Um, it's just unbelievable that we have all these resources here. And I think not enough people understand or realize how important it is. And at the same time, we have, you know, we have legislation in all these states that's trying to destroy um, our hemp industry. I mean, California, Washington, Utah, and they're trying to regulate it over the USDA. And that's a whole other subject. I mean, we're going down this really bad hemp slippery slope. Hey, I'm oh. just trying to figure out why, though. I mean, I just don't understand. The, yeah. the knowledge and the information is there. It's not like this is something that you have to go, you know, uh, scratch through hundreds of books to figure out. The truth is there. What do you think is the problem? It's because, is it because we have other industries that are competing with it and would rather destroy us rather than see us prosper? Yes. Uh, and again, yeah, I mean, what we're seeing right now, we're, we're seeing this controversy between um, hemp molecules and marijuana molecules. The, the marijuana industry is massive. It has way more money. The hemp industry is pretty much broke. It's just, you know, it, it, it's imploding. And, and, you, and, and same with marijuana. There's so many people growing it and, and they want to sell the CBDs and the CBGs and the CBN and, you know, any molecule. However, you know, uh, hemp, the main molecule is CBD. So a lot of these dispensaries and marijuana stores, they pay millions of dollars for a dispensary, yet they can't sell hemp in the dispensary because it's not marijuana. It's not in the metric system, yet they open their front door. And I put my feet in their shoes and go, okay, if I spend a million bucks and I looked out my front door and I see the gas station, the pet store, the health food store, everybody selling CBD and CBG, and I can't sell it. And what happened for a while was the, the cannabis industry, you know, medical marijuana and such, um, said, well, if you can't get high and it doesn't have THC, it doesn't work. Well, guess what? There's people coming into the marijuana dispensary saying, hey, my grandmother or my aunt, they want cannabinoid therapy, but they don't want to get stoned. Do you have something for them? And so there's a line right there. We can do cannabinoid therapy without being coming intoxicated. Of course, THC has definitely medical benefits, but there is a segment in the society that wants the therapy but doesn't want to um, get stoned. And so, absolutely. And they, and they know, should have a right to that. They should have the right to that. That's really, that you brought me to a great place. Tell me a little bit about your companies, Farm Tiva and Juice Tiva, because that's really where we're, we are right now. And it's, it's so unfortunate that, you know, um, I, I think it's just ignorant that. Our industry, the cannabis industry, can be its worst enemy because honestly, we should be trying our best to come together and shore us both up 
rather than try to destroy one over the other and making people have to choose. I mean, I, I think I, I speak at, about this all over the country. I've been speaking about all the minor cannabinoids for the last five years. I, I do conventions all over the country, all over the world. And I, I think I was one of the first people that, out there talking about the fact that you watch this. Everybody's all interested in CBD, but what we haven't been thinking about is CBG, which actually turns into CBD and THC. We haven't been talking about CBN. We haven't been talking about CBC. We haven't been talking about the acid version of this. I've been talking about this for now five years, almost blew to my face. And, and, and I, I, it, it angers me that I get some pushback from people in the cannabis industry because you know, like you just said, they're pissed off that they can't sell it. That's the only that's the only reason. There's nothing to do with anything other than that. They're pissed off if they were putting together good products. So it's like like I have a product line that's out right now. Um, I'm out in Massachusetts. I'm in a, like 40 plus dispensaries there. I'm hoping to move those numbers up to get them all. And I've got a product line that's going to be going to launch in Georgia. Um, and my line is a combination of THC, CBD together in everything I do with particular terpenes enhanced. So I will take a, a full spectrum and then enhance it with a little bit more of a terpene so that we can get some extra effects. So all of my formulations, you know, they've been selling really well and people understand the difference of what I have because we know that, you know, let's say for those people who are, are, you know, a little baby boomers who don't necessarily want to have that ridiculously high, high, high euphoria. I make sure that when I go out and do my, you know, pop-ups, I let them know that the reason why I formulated this with a little CBD at the same time in the same vape cart is because it kind of dampens down that anxiety on the top. It allows you to experience the euphoria that's a very comfortable one, but you're not all yeah. looking around behind your back. And then I put in particular terpenes to elicit other responses like give you energy or let you feel calm, let you relax, or even let you go to sleep. I have a, I have a formulation out that's that's got the THC, CBD, CBN, and CBC all in the same cart. Knowing that when you put those together, that little bit of THC is basically an accelerant for that CBD and CBN and CBC. So it helps you relax. It's a mood modifier. Um, and I try to explain that to people. And, you know, uh, some of the places I go to, they, they get it. They got it. The, the, the consumer wants it. You know, the, the particular um, uh, dispensaries, they're like, oh, okay, I get what you're doing. But they're not as excited about it because, you know, they have a lot of young people walk in. And we now know that, you know, generationally, there's probably more legal cannabis being sold to baby boomers than there are to 18-year-olds. Yeah, <laughs> you're absolutely right. And you're on the cutting edge. And that's kind of where the direction, like if someone says, where is this going? And you just kind of answered the question of, of that is, yeah, these, these, these mixed cannabinoids uh, uh, ratios, 10 to 1, you know, 20 to 1. Um, adding the CBN, CBG, and and I, I think that's definitely the future. And we're and we're using words like stress and mood, and 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 um, and uh, without without violating the FDA, making Correct. any kind of medical claim. You can't use anxiety. You can't use pain. No, nope, I don't um, use, well, you use inflammation and stuff like that. So um, you're spot on. No, I love that you're doing that. That's that's incredible. Well, you know, tell me about Farmtiva. Uh, okay, so Farmtiva has been my dream to grow hemp. You know, I, I learned from the Chinese. I learned from the Hungarians. I learned from the Polish. I learned from the Koreans. And I could never grow it legally, you know. And so 
Um, and I, I was involved in many hemp fiber and grain projects around the world. So once it became legal, um, we grew in, in, in um, Kentucky in 2014. Um, the company, I, one of the companies and co-founder I started was uh, CB Sciences plus CBD. Started Hemp Meds, U.S. Hemp Oil. Um, you, you had said I grew in California in 2014. It was Kentucky that we sponsored uh, uh, University of Kentucky. Uh, uh, long story short. Uh, so once I we became legal with the farm bill. I was right first in line going, I'm growing. And so, um, and it took California till 2018 to actually pass a hemp law. So I'm sitting in California, you know, looking, I have to go to Kentucky. I got to go to Colorado to grow hemp. And, and, and California is the biggest economy in the world. I'm like, why can't we grow here? So we finally got the license. They legalized it. And I started breeding hemp seeds to sell to other farmers, like uh, CBD seeds, CBG seeds, uh, fiber seeds, and we still do that. And and so, um, and we 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 thought of, hey, what other product can we make? Because the whole hemp industry has been hit with all this regulation, and I won't get into that. But so we said, hey, um, let's make a product no one's doing. And so I've seen the hemp juice. I've seen different cultures eat the seed, eat the leaf. And I knew the science behind the leaf was like a superfood. It had vitamins and minerals and flavonoids and omega fatty acids. And so we took one of our, our seeds that we've developed. Um, it's an OG cherry T1 cross, whatever. And we produced this really nice CBD variety that we're able to, uh, we, we handpick the fresh baby leaves and the fresh junior flowers. And we have refrigerated trucks in the field. And we created this product called Juice Tiva, and it's all fresh, raw um, CBDA, which is the raw form of cannabidolic acid. And um, we take that and we juice it and we turn it into a freeze-dried powder. And now it's a superfood with CBDA. And people say, well, what is CBDA? And, and we actually call it the superfood of superfoods because it has that raw CBDA cannabolic acid. And... The only way to, to, to actually consume or to get CBDA is to eat the raw leaves, drink the juice, or take this powder that we've invented. And, and it's just um, the difference between CBD and CBDA is um, CBDA, like I said, is the raw form, the fresh raw form of CBD. And it's 100 times more. Um, the affinity has 100 times more than CBD for the H5T1 receptor, which basically this activates um, your serotonin. And it's really important component for stress, anxiety, and, and several disorders that in the body that the CBDA can really, uh, like I said, it's a lot more powerful than CBD. It's the new CBD. It's the new kid on the block. Um, it's about 20 to 30 times more bioavailable than than uh, regular CBD. Um, and also it's 100% legal because it's from the whole plant. It's not a, it's not an extracted molecule. Um, Is that why, why, you know, some of the people in the industry are kind of, you know, pushing back against you because they can't actually create and figure out how to keep it stable? Yeah, you know, they're doing some hash. They're, they're pulling it out with a hash type resin and then they're making it water soluble. But there's nothing more powerful than a water-soluble, 100% plant-based um, material or a molecule. So 
with the freeze drying, it's a lipolization process, which is a military invention. We used it in World War II uh, to basically bring nutrients and vitamins to the troops in the front line. So when we freeze dry this, it's, a, it's like an eight-stage process. It's kind of proprietary the way we do it. But we're able to not only stabilize the, the catabolic acid, CBDA, uh, at 25 milligrams per gram. So we're taking like 110 pounds of juice and we're only getting like four pounds of powder. So our recommended dose is one gram. You take one gram of this powder, it's like eating two pounds of leaves and flour. So there's nothing like it in the marketplace. Uh, do people know about it? No. Are we educating people? Oh, we sure are. I've gone to every big CBD company. And, you know, we're more of an ingredient supply. We want other companies to do it, put their name on it, you know, blah, blah, blah. And we do a house brand. We do like a 30-day supply. We do capsules. We do juice sticks. Um, and there's also some great science. If you, do, if you Google or do some research, there's scientific research papers that have been peer-reviewed, published. And like I said, it talks about 100 times the affinity for the H5T1 receptor. And people say, well, what is that? Well, that's basically directly uh, main lines into your endocannabinoid system, where CBD normally goes to your CB1 or CB2 receptor. So it has a different functionality in terms of how it enters your body. And it's within five minutes, you, you can feel it because it's water-soluble, bioavailable. And it also has CBGA, cannabinoidic acid. Um, it also has CBD, CBC. Um, but the main component is the CB, uh, uh, CBDA, which, like I said, is, um, has 100 times the affinity over CBD. And even some new research we just read has 1,000 times the affinity over CBD for nausea. Wow. And, and those numbers are scary. When you read that, and these aren't my numbers, these are what I'm reading in the new published research. So we believe that, um, that these cannabolic acids, these phytocannabinoids, we don't want to look at them as medicine. We should be looking them at them as nutrition. So right. the new health trend now is gut to brain health. If your gut isn't you know, healthy, your brain and your body isn't. So this new superfood of superfoods, we're calling it, uh, you know, it really establishes gut to brain health. It produces serotonin. Uh, it regulates the serotonin. And we're seeing people with anxiety and stress. I mean, immediately they feel a difference. It also works for pain. And, and these are things that, uh, you know, I'm reading the research. I'm not making any medical claims. So, <laughs> sure. Um, well, and if people wanted to get more information about that, though, where would they go? Juiceteva.com. And juiceteva.com is our website. You can read all about it. We have information. We have uh, recipes. You can put it in your coffee. You can put it in your tea. You can put it in your smoothie. Uh, we have capsules. Um, people might not like the flavor, uh, but it's a super concentrated, super potent cannabidiolic acid, full, you know, plant 100%. And uh, it's from the leaf, not the lab. <laughs> There you go. Well, I got to tell you, my friend, I, I can't thank you enough for being here. Look, I could talk to you for hours, you know. Yeah. So you got to come back. And I know, you know, for a lot of people out there who don't know, we, uh, I and Chris did one of these uh, podcasts before, but unfortunately there was a technical glitch. And so yeah. we, come back, we did the whole thing again. But now I'm going to ask you to come back because we want to talk about more things. Okay. I'm here ready. And that's kind of what I've 
my life is revolves around hemp and CBD, cannabinoid acid, and uh, we're here just to uh, you know the main the main important thing is educating people and healing people and health, and and that's really what drives me and and drives our company and everybody around me. So no, you I, you even you even said that you you're putting together a little special thing for people who have, are tuned into Let's Be Blunt with Montel, right? Yes. Oh, don't forget if you go to justiva.com, punch in. Montel, and you will get a 15% discount. Yay! Um, <laughs> you got to try it. You got to try it. Montel, go to juicetiva.com and, uh, you know, just try it out and see how it is. You know, it's, it's I'm nice. well, you know, I'm definitely going to be one of your first people up there trying to do that because I swear to you, I, I, I like to keep my body saturated with CBD, and this thing like, would probably be the ultimate in saturation. Did, did you get to try it or? You know what? I haven't gotten it yet. So still waiting. I'm, I may even uh, have you, if you could, maybe have your people who sent it out, just double check because it hasn't been delivered yet. So I'm waiting with bated breath to get something to try. Okay. I'm going out today. I Wow. Yeah. No, I, I put it in the mail the next day, but you never know. This. Uh... <laughs> yeah. Regular mail. You never know. I, where I live, it, it takes a while for stuff to get to me here in Miami. My friend, look, I can't thank you enough for being a part of the show. I know my viewers have been captivated. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. I definitely want to have you back. So you tell me when your time is good for you. We can come back and talk about things from batteries to, you know, I, I guess maybe one last question I ought to ask you is like, you know, right now, since we know that CBD is legal in all 50 states, but but there are some states that act like it's not legal, even though it is legal. Can you kind of help people understand that there's it's okay for them to consume CBD no matter where they are in the United States? Yes. So, again, the FDA does not make laws. The federal government and Congress, signed by the President of the United States, has made hemp and all derivatives of it legal as long as it's not over 0.3. So a state can say what and do whatever they want, but in a court of law, they can never, ever prosecute or, or bust somebody for using CBD or buying it. What they're doing is they're really um, uh, being influenced by misinformation. And, and God forbid, why would you take a medicine or a molecule or nutrition away from people that need it? So it's just chaos. And until we all get together and some of these hemp groups, I don't want to get into names or anything, but they're not lobbying on behalf of the people. They're lobbying on behalf of corporations and companies. And this is ridiculous. It's time that we do what we did 20 years ago and sue the FDA. Not involved in this one. But again, um, two weeks ago, the FDA punted the ball. They said, we don't want to deal with this anymore. We want Congress. So there you go. They didn't say it was illegal. They just said... We don't want to we don't want to make any rules or regulations. We want the United States Congress to come up with some regulations for hemp CBD. So to me, on, on a positive level, I, I think um, we're going to a much better place because Congress designed and regulated dietary supplements. <laughs> you know, you know, right. at one point in this country, dietary supplements, they were going to try to make it illegal. I mean, Nixon thought all the health food stores were hippies selling drugs, and he wanted to shut down the whole health food market. So he was trying to give us vitamin C. Yeah, right. Yeah, so that's that's a whole other subject. But yeah, I, I'm a strong believer in litigation and in fighting for our rights for nutrition and health. 
and 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 and, and having these laws that actually uh, back us up. You know, I mean, these laws were enacted by the president and Congress so we could have hemp CBD. You know, so uh, it's a no-brainer there. Well, I'm there with you, my friend, and maybe when we come back, we can talk about that at length so we can get some people rallied behind this and start actually getting some activists out there again, because I think that's what's sorely missing right now from our entire industry, both the cannabis industry and the hemp industry, though there are some activists, but I mean, we're quiet, and it's no longer time to be quiet. No, sir. I'm, I'm on the frontline trenches here. <laughs> Well, I want to get there with you, my friend. Thank you so much for being a part of the show today. We want you back. I've said that multiple times, so you know that. And I want you all to understand, again, if people wanted to get more information about you, sir, where would they go? Juiceteva.com and put in Montel. And we've got a special 15% off if you put the word Montel. And uh, we'll get it out to you the next day. My friend, thank you so much. You guys, you stay well. And for all of you out there, make sure you tune in to the next edition of Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Thanks for joining me on Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Please make sure you're subscribed and hit the bell to be notified when new episodes post each week. We'd love to hear your feedback also, so please send us your comments. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. I'm Larry Mishkin, and I'd like to invite you to join Rob Hunt and me on our weekly podcast, The Deadhead Cannabis Show. Each week, we explore the latest cannabis and jam band news and reminisce with other deadheads and jam band lovers about the great musical acts that we've seen and heard. Check out a new episode every Monday.